The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, I'm Eric Savitz, Associate Editor for Technology at Barron's, and welcome to Tech Trader on Barron's Live. I am very happy to have with me today Mark Mahaney, who's the internet analyst, uh, the lead internet analyst at Evercore ISI. Mark has been covering this space for a long time. Uh, also recently wrote a book about uh, this topic, about picking internet stocks and his experience as an analyst. And Mark, thank you for, uh, for being with us. Thanks for inviting me, Eric. It's great to have you again. So I, w- I want to start with uh, sort of the big picture here, right? So we're, uh, we're getting close to the end of uh, what has been a fairly difficult, uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, 2022 for internet uh, stocks. Almost all of them have, uh, have lost ground and, uh, uh, and, and considerable ground uh, in many cases. I, and the, the setup, if, if you think about where we are now as to where we are 12 months ago, um, a lot has changed, certainly on the economic front. Interest rates have changed. The economy is diff- looks different. Give me a little sense about how you're feeling about the, the sector that you cover now, how things have evolved over the last 12 months, and how your sort of outlook has changed uh, from where we were like a year ago. Okay, let me start this. You know, this was a, I think the Latin expression is anus horribilis. <laughs> uh, I probably mispronounced that, but a horrible year. <laughs> Um, you know, at the midpoint of the year, the Internet sector was off 50 percent, which was materially worse than NASDAQ and for a variety of different reasons. You had aggressively rising interest rates. So so bye bye, easy money. Hello, hard money. And um, rising interest rates are never good for long duration assets. Secondly, you had these funky covid comps, you know, in the June quarter of 2020. In June quarter of 2020, Google had its first ever year-over-year decline, revenue decline quarter, which meant that the June quarter 21, it had its fastest year-over-year reported growth in 15 years. And then that created a tough comp for June quarter of 22. So you had funky comps. Third is you, um, with those aggressively rising interest rates, you had a dramatically surging dollar for multinationals with a lot of international exposure that causes revenue headwinds and profit headwinds. Uh, and then, um, and then fourth, you had this, um, the increasing impact of softening enterprise spend and softening consumer spend, even to areas like cloud computing and uh, and uh, search advertising, which most people would have thought would have kind of held up best, started mm-hmm. showing softness in the September quarter. So it was just kind of this 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 uh, bad cocktail, this mix, all these these you know three, four, five headwinds that really negatively impacted the internet sector. It massively underperformed through the first half of the year, but things started changing. By the way, in the second half of the year. You know, there were some dramatic outperformers that lead us into 23 and help explain why I think the, the outlook for 23 is more constructive than it was for 22. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to be muted and cautious. That was the, those are the two words I kept using for the Internet stocks in 22. But in the back half of the year, you started seeing stocks like Uber, particularly Netflix, even smaller names like Wix start to outperform Pinterest, either because they had new revenue streams or there were cost cutting actions taking place, activist investors involved in 
you had some stocks like Netflix jump up 70% since July 1st. Right. July 1st is an arbitrary date, but so is January 1st. So anyway, we, we it was kind of like a tale of two halves. Mm-hmm. But you, um, you still had underperformance for a good number of the names in the back half of the year, but you started to get a little bit of quality bifurcation. It became once again a stock picker's market. And, and then, Eric, to answer your question about 23, I think there's three reasons to be more uh, constructive. One is multiples have de-risked. Second, estimates have de-risked. Both of those, you know, i.e., it's another way of saying the multiples have come down and estimates have come down. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're never fully de-risked, but they certainly are come down a lot since they were at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is you've had pretty extensive um, uh, um, uh, rifts, reduction in force or employee headcount cuts. You know, uh, Facebook laid up, Meta laid off 13% of their workforce. Door, that's three weeks ago, or announced that they were going to do that. DoorDash announced last week that they were going to have a 7% riff. And the third reason why that should make you constructive for 2023 is it creates what I call an EPS slingshot opportunity, because mm-hmm. at some point when macro improves and revenue growth starts to reaccelerate again, it'll happen on a rev, I'm sorry, on a cost basis that's lower. So earnings growth can come up, come back faster on a, on a reduced uh, cost basis. So that's what at the margin, you know, I'm, I'm worried about macro trends for the next quarter, two quarters, three quarters, mm-hmm. still see deteriorating demand trends but the setup is there and i think it's much more constructive going into 23 than it was in the 22 so what one thing uh i I do wonder is you know there's some of these macro trends are still playing out the fed continues to raise interest rates and in fact like we've seen just over the last couple of days uh new worries that the target fed funds rate will be higher uh maybe than we originally thought uh that's led to like a very familiar pattern where, you know, high multiple tech stocks are selling off again um, so far this week. And so, so we're seeing some of that pattern continue. We, we continue to talk about a recession. We haven't had it yet, but like we continue to talk that we might have a recession in 2023. Depends which, you know, kind of market seer you want to believe whether that's going to happen or not. And, uh, but so I wonder if we enter an environment where rates are continuing to rise and the economy continues uh, to at least soften and maybe enter a recession. Um, where's the point where you begin to feel like, okay, we're we're almost at the bottom and now we can start to think about like we're close enough to the bottom of the cycle where we can start to bet on the, uh, you know, the other side of the chasm. Like, do you, and cause you know, to your point about, for example, um, and like estimates coming down, it's certainly true that estimates come coming down. Like, Lots of people have lowered, uh, you know, lowered their uh, guidance for um, for the rest of this year. And in some cases, into next year, we'll get more deal for next year, I guess, as we get the December quarter earnings reports. But there's still some people on the street who think, you know, we haven't gone, we're, we haven't cut enough. Like we've cut estimates, but we haven't cut enough. And of course, as the estimates come down, um, that implies that the valuations are maybe high, in, in a sense, are higher than they look, right? Because- if the estimates are too high, you know, the real PEs are higher than they might appear. And so I wonder how you think about those <laughs> factors as we go into the new year. And then also, is, is there any historical lessons we can take on, well, how far in advance of the turn do you need to get in, right? So, right, Tim, typically the market is, a, um, you know, is, a, is anticipatory. And so you don't want to wait until the numbers get better. You want to get there be in anticipation of that. So how do you think about that? Well, you least raised a lot of issues there, Eric. You're right. Uh, raise, uh, you know, interest rates continue to rise. That's bad for, again, for long duration assets. You want to be, 
you still need to be more defensive and tech doesn't have a lot of defensive sectors to it. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, what I've tried to do is focus on names that I think have got um, have already taken costs out, have already mm-hmm. made their cost cuts, um, uh, uh, are somewhat recession resilient, somewhat recession resilient, you know, like uh, they're less consu- they're less pure consumer discretionary. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm looking for names that, you know, maybe have a new product cycle. And that's kind of why Netflix is my top pick uh, in the group. Um, they didn't overbuild post COVID like some of the other companies mm-hmm. uh, did. They have new product cycle. It's called business with ads. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, people will still want and need entertainment in a recession. Um, I don't know. The old saw is something like uh, Hollywood's golden age occurred during the golden, I'm sorry, occurred during the great depression. Right. Uh, and so, you know, and, and Netflix certainly offers you inexpensive access to entertainment. It's got even more inexpensive with the six ninety nine offering. So I, I, I do try to be tactical about it. I do assume, I think we should all assume that demand trends are going to continue to soften. And that's what we're seeing in the December quarter so far. Retail trends seem to be deteriorating. Advertising trends seem to be deteriorating further or softening further. And I think that probably continues into the first half of next year. Our our guess is that we start seeing revenue growth rates and margins start to stabilize in the middle of 23. And then that's what the market's going to look for. You know, like, give me your inflection point. Tell me when revenue growth starts to reaccelerate in stocks. And when the market thinks they know when that is, the market will probably start bidding up those assets, the right. highest quality assets first three or six months before then. So right. that that's what, that's what, that's the way we're trying to play this. I also find that trying to call exact, um, you know, turning points is a very hard thing to do. Maybe it's a fool's errand. So I'll just stick with the earlier point, which is that, you know, look, multiples can still go down further. Estimates can still go down further. I just know that they're materially reduced from where they were a year ago. I've got about, um, about, um, 50 to 60% of the internet stocks I look at that are trading within 20% of their trough multiples. And I think some of these stories are, you know, they're cyclically impacted like an Amazon, but they're mm-hmm. not structurally different. Now, some of the yeah. ad names may be structurally different because of the risk from TikTok, because of the because of the dramatic change in targeting that the Apple privacy change brought. But there are a couple of these companies that have no structural changes. In fact, their competitive advantages are probably deepening. Amazon's at the top of my list there. Mm -hmm. I call it my Buffett bet. Like if you're you want to make a year bet on a stock, I got one for you. It's Amazon. It's going to come out stronger, competitively stronger from this recession. The core business is um, fully intact. It's just a matter of playing the cycle. So you make an interesting point, which I think is one that uh, investors really need to be thinking about, which is if you think about this this, uh, kind of, let's call it a almost three year dynamic of the pandemic and the, uh, you know, the the sort of economic uh, uh, chaos that we've seen over the last year, um, it's impacted businesses in different ways. In some cases, uh, you know, you've had companies say like Peloton or Zoom uh, that had fantastic growth during the pandemic period, but you kind of knew that, that at some level, this was not a, this was not a true reflection of long-term demand, but the stocks did fantastically well, then rolled over as their demand rolled over. But the interesting question here, to your point, is where are their cyclical changes and where are their secular changes? Structural and, changes, I, yeah. I, I, structural changes. So I, if you, so I, I want to dig in on a few that you've, you've mentioned in passing, and let's start with Amazon and retailing, where it's sort of in the middle of the holiday period. Um, you know, the early read on Black Friday, I guess, was that it was OK. And like a few companies provided a, a beat uh, uh, 
uh, reports yeah. on how they did over the weekend, and you had a few stocks that, that spiked. But in Amazon's case, um, it's a fascinating moment, right? They've had uh, they've had their own sort of special set of circumstances where they dramatically expanded um, their capacity during the pandemic, overshot, and then it immediately get hit with like a downturn, right? And so they they've had some trouble um, from that standpoint. But it all does feel. Um, like like a cyclical set of issues there. And I think the same is true in AWS where their, you know, their cloud business has slowed, the growth has slowed, they're still growing fast. The growth has slowed in part because their customers have slowed and it's a consumption-based model. But all that feels um, tr uh, transitional to me. And, I, and it sounds like that's the way that you're looking at, at Amazon as well. Yeah, uh, I think we largely agree on this, Eric. Mark Twain once said that if two people disagree, one of them's not necessary. So I feel like I'm not necessary <laughs> now. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, I think that's the case with uh, Amazon. I, I think they're going to be gaining share in the retail business. There was some news around Black Friday, Cyber Monday. It's just the comps are very tricky because you got to recall at the end of November and early December of 21, we had real inventory issues. Um and now it's the opposite. For good or for bad, and it's for bad. We've got excess inventory and a heck of a lot of discounting. So right. some of those Black Friday, Cyber Monday spikes in sales, I think, were a little bit misleading. Um, so I, I do worry about that. And I just, I'm, I'm going to make the assumption. I think we all should that you know, with record high inflation, it does impact uh, consumer discretionary spend. Absolutely, Walmart with 50% of their sales being, you know, groceries that can hold up a little better than an Amazon can. But on the other side of this cycle, you know, in the meantime, Amazon, yeah, Amazon did overbuild from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, shame on them. Given all the experience we've all had with pandemics, you'd have thought that they could have executed better. That's a joke. You know, they, it was very hard to know when you're making major year to two out investment decisions, right. what the right level was. And they aim for the high end. I, I do think that Amazon was a structural winner from COVID. I'm sorry. I do think that that led more people to uh, do shopping online, to shop for categories that they had mm -hmm. not shopped before, like consumer essentials, household essentials, groceries. And I think those are kind of permanent changes in habit. I do think we kind of permanently moved along the digital um, uh, adoption curve in terms of enterprises and the use of cloud computing. So I just, we, we over-extrapolated, the market did, I did, Amazon did, but right. there's still, the, the trend was still up and to the right because of COVID. Now the, the, the one structural challenge, maybe if there really is one, is, um, you know, shipping costs spiked, they're coming down. Fuel costs spiked earlier this year, they're coming mm -hmm. down. One thing that won't come down are wage costs. Uh, yeah. Those structurally stepped up. Then that, that Amazon can scale against that, but it's going to take a while for them to do that. That's the one kind of issue I think on the margins, but literally on the margins uh, and, and figuratively. But I, I think Amazon, you know, comes out of this, and it's still a very um, diversified business. It still has the best mix shift story, I think, in tech. Its fastest growing businesses, AWS and advertising, are mm -hmm. higher margin. Than their core retail business, I think yeah. people underappreciate how profitable the the um, the, the retail business is because we don't know how much of that Alexa and film uh, or video content spend is buried right. in that North American retail business. My guess is that it's a lot, and based on what we're learning about how much they've been losing at Alexa, I was surprised to see it was five to ten billion. That's a lot of a lot of money. So there right. are places to cut costs, and you still have these growth initiatives. I think with um, 
with uh, with Amazon. I refer to them as whale opportunities. Still, I think they can go from 35 billion in advertising revenue to 100 billion. They're just starting to tap into brand advertising uh, dollars, you know, with NFL, uh, you know, football uh, rights mm-hmm. and, and a lot of video uh, content that, you know, right now there's only one major streaming company that doesn't have any ads in it. There's only one left. That's Amazon. And I can't imagine that's going to be forever the case. So I just think there's gimme money. There's that's an opportunity. I think they've got a lot more growth opportunity in business and industrial supplies. I think groceries is a long slog, but I think that that's still a lot of upside for Amazon. And finally, there's uh, Amazon Logistics as they eventually and sooner rather than later, they're competing with FedEx and, and UPS. So I just I see this as the core business is well intact, working through demand trends cyclically working through cost trends i think that's structural but i think they can i can think they can scale against it and they've still got these kind of growth whale opportunities so uh, and the stock is trading at a five-year uh, trough uh, and i think we're going to come out of this i think the multiple can go up and then once we get beyond this i think you'll then start getting into a, a phase of rising uh, uh, estimates revisions too but that's after we get through the the we, we got to first get to the trough and that's, you know, probably sometime in the middle of 23. OK, so um, when you open the lens a little further at the rest of the e-commerce world, um, there's a, kind of a mixed bag, it feels like to me. Like, And the one that I am always uh, most intrigued by is Shopify, um, which has really been battered this year. I mean, a lot of things have been battered, but Shopify is, is, has been just a terrible uh, performer this year. And of course, they also were a big beneficiary during the pandemic, companies that didn't have any online exposure coming online. What's your, what's your thinking on Shopify here? Does the stock look cheap to you? What, what do you think happens to them as we go into 2030? No, it's not cheap. Uh, this was one of the companies, that, you talk about long duration asset. This was Shopify, you know, not going to generate material amounts of uh, profits, not going to have gap earnings still for several more years. And they were the ones that were sporting that 20 times plus uh, sales multiple. Now they had outrageously good growth. And, you know, this was looking like a SaaS model with 70 percent gross margins and top line growth well in excess of 40 percent. But, you know, when those fundamentals crashed down, you know, the stock, there was there was a lot of downside for the stock. And this is actually one of the worst calls I've had, Eric. I Oof. try to be patient on it. I thought I stepped in cleverly on a on a 30 percent or 40 percent correction back in December and upgraded it only to watch it go down another 70 oh, percent. Just you know, warning to the wise and to the unwise like me, which is uh you know, that just because a stock's off doesn't mean if a stock that's fallen, any stock that's fallen 50 percent, there's still another 100 percent to go. Uh, so, um, <laughs> yes. you know, just, just just a reminder of that. And uh, yeah, these I don't think that we'll let, uh, Spotify will ever see those kind of multiples again. But, you know, if they if they can execute well, stabilize gross margins and then they have been in the meantime building out this retail operating system. Right. So there's a lot of a lot of things that are good there. There's one strategic bet they're making, which I think is very risky, which is them vertically integrating into into fulfillment with the Shopify mm-hmm. fulfillment network. That's risky. I think they should partner with Amazon and both stocks would go up uh, and probably better for both companies fundamentals. But anyway, th- that is execution risk. But I do like the um, uh, you know, I do like Shopify has to date, you know, built out, uh, you know, close to a world-class organization. So if they continue to, if they can get back their execution skills I, um, or continue to execute reasonably well, given the, the, the way that the stock is pulled in, it's not cheap, 
but I think it's reasonably valued and it does allow upside. Are there other, is there any, any others that you like in the retail space? Long-term, um, uh, we do like names like Etsy. I think that's a special business model, good top line growth, high margin business. It's a nice combo uh, business kind of, it was, a, you know, a rule of 40 uh, stock, you know, uh, 20 to 30% EBITDA margins, uh, 20 to 30% uh, top line growth. So I do like that long-term. I worry about pure discretionary businesses like that going into a recession. So I'd be cautious on it near term. We actually put a tactical underperform on the stock, uh, but long-term we like that. And then oh, I got one, Chewy. Hmm. Chewy's interesting. There were report earnings this week. So, you know, um, when I talked about looking for names that can kind of hold up in this environment that are reasonably recessionary or resilient, about 85 of the percent of the business's wow. revenue is what you have in the background there. It's, uh, you know, it's pet supplies, pet food. And even in a recession, we're going to feed our pets. Uh, and so, um, you know, they, they were kind of require it. So I, I think that business may be more resilient than people give them credit for. And I think there's a couple of things that are going to cause that gross margins to start inflecting up. They had a lot of pull forward of demand because of COVID, which meant that right. their, their new customers were really soft late in 21 and then 22. And I think when you go start going into 23, that can kind of normalize. So actually, I think that's one that can kind of skirt through here. And we already had the, it's kind of like, Eric, I want to, it's almost like it's safer to buy a stock after the CFO's gone on their earnings call and said, recession hit our business X, Y, or Z way. Last right. quarter, uh, the, uh, the Chewy management came out and said, you know, the what they called it the, the the hard goods. It's not it's not the pet food, but it's the it's the it's the dog toys. It's the cat, you know, scratch right. pillar or whatever. Like the more discretionary stuff, that's been negatively impacted. But we now know that. So as long as we get that, right. you know, the discretionary stuff, we know that there's weakness there. Then we can get back to focus on the 85% of the business that probably won't be materially impacted and will probably stay very steady during a recession. Okay, let me uh, move on to like a few other topics. So uh, um, you, you talked a little bit about uh, Meta and the fact that they did this uh, big uh, riff. And, um, you know, Meta's been a controversial name. Uh, and we've had it sort of slightly different of opinion. I've been relatively negative about uh, Meta and you've been a little more constructive on them. And to be fair, they're... Um, uh, the stock has performed a lot better since they announced uh, the, uh, the the reduction in in staffing. Um, it feels like they're listening to the street a little more on, on on costs. What's your sense of where Meta goes from here? How worried are you about their ability to effectively respond to this Apple privacy issue that's making it harder for them to target? And what do you make of the metaverse? So this, this stock has been as massively derated. Uh, in a book, I referred to um, nothing but net. I referred to Facebook and the, the big correction it had in 2018 and how that created a great buying opportunity. And my guess is that this is true this time too, although the bear arguments have gotten stronger. There's the rise of TikTok. There's the, I mean, there's structural changes here that the company has to deal with. There's the Apple privacy changes, which just kind of gutted the ability of performance marketers, both the platforms and the advertisers, to effectively track the effectiveness of their right. ad campaigns. Uh, there's maturity. You know, this business, you know, go over 2 billion people. There's only so many, there's only so much growth you can right. get after that. It's over 3 billion. I'm sorry. So they're doing low single digit growth. 
And then uh, there is this bet on the metaverse, and they're spending a lot of money on that. And uh, I may have missed one. Oh, regulatory changes, too. So it's like four or five kind of good bear arguments on this name. And that's why the stock is derated so much. You know, we're doing like 12 times gap earnings. This is not performer earnings. This is gap earnings. Um, I mean, it's a discount to the market. And I, I sort of interpret that as this is the next Yahoo, like a deteriorating asset. The reason I continue to like the stock, and it's been a dud, you know, worse than that uh, year to date, is right. that I'm still watching the user metrics and the engagement metrics, and I still see those rising. So, right. you know, this is not a deteriorating asset yet. It may still be, but it's not yet, um, you know, like like Yahoo was and is. Um, and then I do think that part of the business, the core Facebook business, isn't really impacted by TikTok. It's the Instagram business. That's where the real issue is. Like we mm-hmm. see Facebook share of total time spent online amongst the social media assets, core Facebook, Facebook Blue. That's actually stayed very consistent over the last couple of years. It's really Instagram that's lost a little bit of share. That's the issue. But I, I look at this business. I think they can engineer back to regain some of that lost advertising signal. Uh, you know, ver- versus Apple. Uh, I think that um, they're starting to show more success in rolling out reels, increasing overall engagement, and then monetizing, you know, putting uh, ads up against those uh, uh, those reels. They still have this, you know, hidden secret asset. Uh, I'm in Europe now where WhatsApp is used by pretty much everybody. And I think if you leave North America, it's a very widely used asset. Two billion people use it a day. Like, I don't know. Um, and they generate a couple of billion in revenue off of it. I think they can probably do a lot more, maybe integrating payments in there. Mm -hmm. I still think there's a nice, real nice opportunity there. And um, yeah, I just sort of feel like the risk reward is so asymmetric. Uh, People, the market is very bared up on uh, meta and the market's probably right. But if it isn't like, that's where I get to this asymmetric risk reward. It's hard for me to see what the big downside is. And you just talked about this, um, you know, this, the recovery in the stock real quickly. I mean, that was a disaster this last quarter. The earnings, the stock traded off 25%, but it wasn't because of revenue problems. It wasn't because of user or engagement metrics. It was because of the company's commentary about costs and essentially said, we'll just spend whatever on on Metaverse and we're going to spend a lot of money on our core business. And the market said, no way, trashed the stock by 25%. You had the fastest two-week pivot ever. The management team came out two (laughs) weeks later and in AK said, okay, no moss. We're not going to grow CapEx as much. We're not going to grow OpEx as much. And then the stock is pretty much recovered. I mean, it was 130 when they printed that number. I forget how low we got, but whatever, 25 or 26 percent, it was 95 bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, we're back now above 120. Like we're on a glide path back to 130. So we're back at par. If they had given the guidance that they gave two weeks after earnings, I don't think the stock would have traded off. Uh, and I wish I wish they would spend less yeah. on Meta. I really do. I think it's a good long term investment. I mean. I don't know what future interaction is going to be, but, um, you know, it's probably going to be more immersive than what you and I are doing now. And, right. uh, you know, the next five to 10 years. And absolutely, Facebook should be investing. Meta should be investing in it. I just wish, like most of their large holders, that the level of investment was half of what they're doing. But I think you can still make you don't have to believe in the metaverse. And I think you can still make money going long uh, uh, meta. Do, do you um, how do you how would you uh, compare your uh, you're thinking on Meta to Alphabet, right? Which has a, a different advertising profile, right? I mean, YouTube it looks a little more like Meta, but like Google Search is really a different. It's a different dynamic. It feels like, right? It, no, you're right. It is. Uh, so if there's two structural issues facing Meta, 
Apple privacy changes and um, and uh, TikTok, those seem to be much less problematic for Google. I mean, much less. Mm-hmm. Search, it's not a, they're not an issue at all for search. And they're an issue for part of YouTube. Um, but um, and then, you know, uh, you do have a broader portfolio. You've also got cloud with uh, with Google. Uh, Google is probably it is a better asset than than Facebook long term. Near term, I actually think that because Facebook was more aggressive with cost cuts, I think Google needs to do it. I think mm-hmm. because um, Facebook was more aggressive with cost cuts and because uh, Facebook took the revenue hit much earlier, uh, I actually think that Facebook's fundamentals are going to stabilize sooner uh, than than Google. It uh, trades at a lower multiple and the street's looking for lower revenue growth. Like the estimates are more conservative. The valuation's more conservative mm-hmm. for, for Meta versus Google. So I kind of prefer Meta nearer term to Google. Longer term, I just have more confidence in the growth outlook for um, for Google. And I like the portfolio of assets. And one last thing, I always like to look at companies and say, can you identify the under-earned, uh, under-earnings opportunities? Like right. where are their excess costs that maybe they could strip out like Amazon Alexa and all that video content spend? And I think about, uh, uh, I think about Google or Alphabet, and I think there's four to five billion a year they're losing in a cloud business. I think that, you know, I don't see why that doesn't, as they scale up that business and show profitability like AWS does, there's a huge swing in earnings power there. The other area is that four to five billion a year that they lose in uh, other bets. Uh, That's also something that either they spin that off, just take that off the balance sheet. And then, you know, that's a nice pop to earnings. Like Mm -hmm. there's two under earnings opportunities that could be uncovered at, uh, at, at Google, at Alphabet. So anyway, I like that about the business long-term, just, just cautious about it near-term. Okay. Um, last topic I want to address, and there's so much to talk about, but the last topic I do want to, uh, to have you uh, chat a little bit about is um, is travel. And so I'm going to lump into that both the o- uh, online travel agencies, so uh, you know, Expedient Booking plus Airbnb, and then let's include in the mix here uh, Uber and Lyft. Um, uh, and I know you've been very uh, upbeat about Uber um, and uh, and you've liked a couple of the travel names, too. This just feels like an interesting moment uh, for travel, right? Because we've gone through a period when no one was traveling, at least uh, almost no one was traveling. Uh, so there's been this sort of a, a rebound in activity. So you get really big looking growth numbers from some of these companies, at least in the short run. Um, and then at the other on the other hand, uh, we are under economic pressure. Consumer spending is under pressure. Um, it's a little unclear to me, at least, how that mix, uh, how that brew turns out when you start looking into 2023. Uh, okay. So, um, you know, one thing that all these companies have in common, the travel and the mobility names, is that they're, uh, they had to take drastic cost actions back in 2020. They all had, uh, you know, bookings and revenue went negative. Um, just an odd thing, but it actually went negative right. because they had cancellations in, a, in, in addition uh, to no new revenue coming in. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that uh, Airbnb, if you remember, had a 25 percent riff, you know, reduction in force. Uh, and so in a way, like they didn't overbuild out of COVID. I mean, they were forced to, you know, crush down their operating right. expenses. They did. And then when demand came back, that meant that the businesses could scale faster. So Uber, switching gears just a little bit, you know, was able to recover to its pre-COVID uh, contribution margins in its mobility segment on like a third lower uh, bookings levels because they took out all their, they took take out costs. So I do like, I think people may underappreciate how defensive 
I think that's the right word. Defensive, yeah. their business models are just because they're they're not they don't these are this is not a sector with a bloated cost structure where some of the retail and the advertising names are. And then travel demand has been extraordinarily uh, it's probably the most pent up part of consumer discretionary spend was travel. So everybody traveled this this year, which is going to create tough comps for next year. I understand that, and almost certainly at some point along the way, travel spend is going to um, is going to uh, start to weaken. Although I'd actually point out to one, there's one country out there that still hasn't had its revenge travel yet. I always hated that term, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's yet to have its pent up travel demand. Can you think of a company? It's a, a, a country. It's it's relatively small. Begins with a C, and uh, it's been in lockdown for the last two or three years. My yes. guess is there's going to be an enormous amount of, of pent up travel from China coming out of that market at some point. I don't know when that is. That's a political question. But at some point, I think booking actually is an interesting way to play that. Um, anyway, so. Uh, you know, I, I think about, I'll just stick with booking for a second. This is a management team that lived through 9-11, great financial crisis and COVID. They've gone, they know how to manage a business through ups and, you know, downs, in inevitable cycles or extreme cycles when it came to travel and those three events. And then uh, this is a company that's shareholder friendly. They've, they've used their excess cash to bring down the share count by about 20% over the last five years. They've returned cash to shareholders. They've done the right thing. It's a highly profitable business, about 30% EBITDA margins. It's not CapEx intensive. Uh, and it's got a very different, um, uh, extremely fragmented supply base. And it's geographically very diverse. So actually, and it's got new growth initiatives in terms of flights, payments, and merchandising. So I think, and the stocks come in uh, quite a bit. It's not at a trough level, but uh, I think the valuation is still intrinsically very attractive for what I think is a very high quality GARP asset. So I like booking and I'll stick with it as we go through this cycle. So I have, uh, we're, we're almost out of time, but I have to read you this one uh, question from one of our listeners uh, whose name is Stu. He says, uh, Mark, I read your book, and then he says twice. <laughs> so, Thank um, you, excellent sir. read. What do you think will be the next big tech trend as we head into twenty twenty three? Well, I, I, I'm sorry. that's a hard question because I don't know that you can pick one. But like, if is there something that's underappreciated that you look at as we look well, at? I'm sorry. I've just the most important trend. The investing trend is the ability of these companies to manage through what's going to be softening economic cycle. But the big tech trend, you know, like uh, I'm probably going to I'm probably going to disappoint people by talking about AR VR and like I think there's probably going to be something there there to the metaverse. By the way, we're going to get a new product cycle out of uh, of um, out of Meta. Uh, in the in the middle of the year, it's one of the reasons why expenses are going up so much. And I know everybody uh, seems to hate the metaverse concept, but yeah, I, like, are could augmented reality and virtual reality and wearable devices that combo is that going to get more powerful, more obvious over the next you know one, two, three years? I think so. So it's you know it's, we go through these hope, disappointment, yeah. reality cycles. You know, with every product innovation. My guess is that we're going to we're, we've gone through the hope. We're in the disappointment cycle or the hatred cycle when it comes to. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think of, I'm thinking a lot about this because we're heading into, you know, we're a few weeks away from uh, from CES. And um, and so you get a lot of uh, there's a lot of people trying to tell you about like what the next big thing is going to be at CES. And I, I look at this year's CES and I think. Um, it's going to feel like a car show, like it's going to feel like the auto show, like there's going to be a lot of EVs and AVs and, um, you know, electric trucks and electric scooters and e-bikes and 
that's going to feel like a transportation show. And there is a lot of activity there. And uh, and that does feel like an area that where we've kind of hit sort of a tipping point where it's become like a mainstream uh, thing to buy an electric car. And there's, some, you know, all that stuff. But when you get beyond that, you look at the consumer electronics space. It's not real clear what the next big thing might be. You know, it used to be go to CES and it would be all about giant TVs or uh, new new PCs or something happening in smartphones or or you know something like that and i don't see too much of that um happening right now particularly in the current environment where some of those categories are actually getting hit pretty hard by you know like pc demand is terrible at the moment right so i don't know we'll see i think it's it could maybe it's something out of left field i think av i think the wild card to me on that uh, on, on AV and uh, or, or on AR and VR is if Apple actually really does announce a product, I think it would it'll change the perception of the yes. opportunity. They're supposedly going to do it in twenty three. I don't know. We'll see. Mark, thank you so much for uh, for doing this. Thank you, Eric. Good to see you again, and, and happy holidays, and to you as well, and to your family. Um, please join us, everyone, uh, tomorrow. Uh, again, we'll be back. Uh, Market Watch reporter Emma Ackerman uh, will be talking with Patrick Cooney, who's the Assistant Director of Economic Mobility at Poverty Solutions, uh, for Poverty Solutions at the University of Michigan. They'll be talking about poverty, how poverty rates improved in the last year and what the situation might look like for next year. Thanks to everyone for being with us. Be well and stay safe. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.